Hello and welcome to Rise of RevOps. This episode features an interview with Adam Clay, Chief Revenue Officer at Tomorrow IO. Tomorrow IO is the world's leading weather and climate security platform, equipping humanity with the weather intelligence needed to thrive and adapt in an era of climate crisis. Adam brings experience leading and scaling revenue teams for growth-oriented SaaS organizations. Prior to joining the company, he was CRO at Beyond Identity and Logs.io. Before that, he served as Vice President of Worldwide Sales at Black Duck Software. He has held VP of Worldwide Sales positions at Mendix and Shunra. Adam holds a bachelor's degree from Skidmore College and a master's degree from Brown University. In this episode, we talk to Adam about optimizing your go-to-market strategy, aligning on the meaning of opportunity, and harnessing your technical drive. But first, a brief word from our sponsor. Rise of RevOps is brought to you by Qualified. Qualified's Pipeline Cloud is the future of pipeline generation for revenue teams that use Salesforce. Learn more about the Pipeline Cloud on qualified.com. And now, please enjoy this interview with Adam Clay, Chief Revenue Officer at Tomorrow IO, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Rise of RevOps. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. And today I am joined by a special guest. Adam, how are you? I'm very well, Ian. Thank you for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on the show. You're a multi-time CRO. You've led revenue at a bunch of different organizations, worked with a bunch of different RevOps leaders. And who better to talk about RevOps than you? Thank you. All right, so let's get into it. What was your first foray? into revenue operations? When did you first get introduced to it? Yeah, great question. I remember it clearly. The company was Black Duck and the year was 2014. And I was hired as part of a team that ultimately turned around the company that was flatlining. We had a very nice exit, sold the company, pleased everybody, all shareholders. And the CEO who hired me said that he had also hired a vice president of revenue operations. And I thought, well, for sure, that person's going to report to me. He's like, no, it's going to report to me directly. And when I first heard that, I was conflicted. But then I came to understand that, you know, revenue operations, first and foremost, is the guardian of the single version of the truth about the organization's go-to-market performance. And I thought, by the end, it was a brilliant decision on the CEO's part to set that up as a separate function that ultimately grew to a very sizable one that would partner with sales and marketing and post sales to do all the things that revenue ops is supposed to is supposed to do but that was my first true in- introduction and a, a very good one you know we always talk about in startup land that you want to hire for the company that you're going to be and i think that the folks who make investments in revops We've seen, we have brought him on the show. We've talked to a lot of people. It's such a different thing when you get to different gates of the company as you grow, because there's so much less of that just non-transparency. There's like, hey, we have this. Even if you don't have all the answers, which of course we never have all the answers, but even if you're just saying, hey, we've been tracking this. Because the funny thing is about startup world, who you're selling to, what you're selling, the number of products you have, all that stuff at Series A and Series D are two completely different companies anyways, right? That's right. So it's like, if you're not tracking the historical trends, and those historical trends might not be super relevant, 
but you got to know where you've been. And without RevOps, like, like you said, what is your single source of truth? Is it the CRO that's changed twice? Is it the CMO who's changed twice? Or is it this function that has kept a record of that? And I think that, you know, the, your first intro to it is, is I think probably not very common. Yeah, it certainly was uncommon at the time. And again, the decision wasn't mine. It was the CEO's of Black Duck, and he's a brilliant guy. But that VP of RevOps was a full-time member of the senior executive team and was in you know every meeting that senior executives participated in from, from start to finish, from entry to exit. And so, you know, flash forward to now, what's your definition of RevOps? <laughs> So I, th- I think so So much of what I carry with me as a definition was formed from my experience at Black Duck. I was very fortunate to work with great RevOps teams at the subsequent companies as well. But I think first and foremost, I've always adhered to a definition that starts with maintaining a single version of the truth regarding performance, whether it's historical performance, current performance, or forecasted performance across the go-to-market team, which is typically defined as marketing, sales, and post-sales, either services, customer success, or account management. So maintaining a, a single version of the truth and implementing you know, the correct measure of people, processes, systems, and tools to get there, which in this day and age, you know as well as anybody, and it's a, it's a very complex thing to do. So I think first and foremost that, and you know, ultimately, ultimately, RevOps is there to optimize you know all facets of the go-to-market. And my definition would be that that optimization comes through truly objective, detailed analysis that drives really high-quality decision making about where the problems and the opportunities are in the market and internally. And that decision-making for a great RevOps leader, like the one I worked with at, uh, at Black Duck, is not only for the RevOps team, but it's in partnership with sales and marketing and, uh, and post-sales. So I think as a, as a benchmark definition, that's, that's what I would, would want as a CRO in a RevOps org. That's perfect. And so as CRO of Tomorrow.io, tell me how you think about RevOps for your company. Yeah, so I, I think similarly to that, to that definition. So uh, we're a very ambitious, venture-backed, growth stage company uh, growing very quickly. So our RevOps practice is, is rapidly evolving. We have a small RevOps team here, so we take one thing at a time, but I think we've done a very good job here of maintaining a single version of, of the truth because it's very hard to to move forward with any of the things that I talked about, optimizing processes to make the GTM go faster or enabling really crisp, incisive decision-making across the GTM org if you don't have that. And so from that perspective, I'm, I'm quite blessed here at Tomorrow I owe to have a team of people who are driving that. And then in terms of your overall revenue strategies, obviously the CRO charge of revenue, how does technology play into your decision-making? How do you think about you know, your strategy and the tactics that y'all are, y'all are using and how you use uh, technology and data and all of those things to, uh, to support? Great question. So, 
you know, I'll, I'll hold tomorrow IO in mind, but I'll also think a little bit about my other experiences in order to answer that question. So, you know, the fundamental question when it comes to marketing and sales and post sales is always how do we create more opportunity? How do we convert that opportunity at the highest possible rate and the lowest possible cost, mm -hmm. right? To keep our CAC down. And how do we, you know, absolutely delight our customers so that we not only retain them, but grow them. And I would think that every self-respecting go-to-market executive or CRO wakes up in the morning thinking about how they're going to improve those things. In this day and age, because most SaaS companies are fairly complex in the information that you would need to pull, pull together in order to make intelligent decisions to improve those things. And reliance on technology, at least for me, is integral. It's implicit in every decision that we make. So we look routinely you know, at the health of the top of the funnel. That is a tech-enabled decision that comes through HubSpot, it comes through Salesforce, it comes through Google Analytics. We look routinely at conversion data. And that comes through Salesforce, comes through Gong. Uh, we look routinely at the strength and health of our forecast. You know, are we doing what we projected we would do? And that comes through Salesforce. We recently started using Gong to do that, to assist us in that regard. And I would say the majority, if not all, of the decision-making is resting upon data that we're pulling from one of those systems and a few more that we that we need. I think to, to not be technically driven in the decisions that you're going to make and therefore the strategy you're going to execute, particularly for a SaaS company, just does a disservice to, to shareholders. All the data is there. You just have to have the discipline to look at it, the discipline to gather it, and the discipline to pull the right people together to make a thoughtful decision. Yeah. And I think there's so much of that that is about asking the right questions. And I think for a long time, yeah. we were asking, maybe there are the right questions, but fundamentally, we weren't like aligned on why we were asking them or what we were asking them for. And having that base level, like RevOps, one of the things that it allows you to do is to ask questions of the data to understand why the things are happening. Okay, we know things are happening now. Like back in the day, we didn't know things were happening. Like we sort of knew that things were happening, but we didn't really know. You know, you didn't really know what was happening to, you know, in reps calls. You didn't really know what SDRs were saying in their, in their, you know, emails. You didn't really know how many people are converting on the website and like heat mapping and all these other things. You didn't really know that stuff. And now you can ask the question, why? Like, why is this happening? What's the secondary effect of this? What's the third order effect of this? Like, if we, if this, then that. And like, that's the part where, you know, I would imagine being a CRO has changed so much is that you have all this stuff at your fingertips. Like you get to ask all these things and point to different things. Whereas, you know, back in the day, it was kind of like a little bit more straightforward, right? That's a very good point. When I first started my career, just the, the possibility of understanding, you know, what an SDR, to take one function with an entire go-to-market, to understand who an SDR was calling, what they were saying when they got them on a phone, what the outcome was of that call, what follow-up looked like, let alone what was sent after the, the conversation or what might have been sent in advance to, to create the conversation. We're on a system that relied exclusively on trust. There was no data. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Only what you told me you did. 
right? And, you know, I imagine, you know, that, that some managers might, might, you know, pull up the sent items or, you know, go into some obscure system and pull the call logs. That was about as close as, as we could get. But now, you know, if I'm having a, a conversation with, with our SDR team, and I think this really started to change five or six years ago, uh, of course, we still trust. Of course, we still trust. But I can also say, hey, show me. Let's look at the prospecting emails. Let's look at the performance of those emails. How many did you send? How many were, were opened? How many were read? How many were click through? Okay, how many calls did you make? At what time of day? To which people? And uh, let's listen to what you said in that call. It's all available with a click of a button. And so the, the coaching opportunities that arise as a consequence of having all of that data at, at the fingertips to complement, you know, trust between a manager and an SDR in this example, it just drives progress forward dramatically. And to your earlier point, it enables strategy because we can very quickly see, you know, over the course of a thousand emails or a thousand phone calls, what worked and what didn't work. We don't need to guess. We just need to be disciplined enough and sort of set our gut and sort of set our instinct aside to look at the data and make a make an informed decision. That's very exciting. Let's get to our first segment, Rev Obstacles. Obstacle, obstacle. An obstacle to what? There's your obstacle. Where we talk about the tough parts of RevOps. What's one of the hardest RevOps problems that you've faced in your career? The single biggest challenge, rather, the biggest obstacle that I've faced in my career. I haven't faced it here, but I faced it at other companies that I've, I've worked on. Because as a, because often as a CRO, you know, you're brought in, not, and I'm sure Ian, you know this, not because people are like thrilled with the way things are going. Sure thing. Yeah, right. Right. Like, so... Rule number one, you're expected to, to make change and manage that change and keep everybody motivated through that period of change, assuming that the changes you're going to make independently or with the rest of the executive team advance the business's interests, right? Everything we do is in the interest of the business. But you know, not everybody, when you come into a company, has the same ideas. Not everybody in marketing, for example, or post-sales has the same ideas about and this gets the answer to the question that you asked about challenges, about what an opportunity is. So think about it. You know, the, op the opportunity is at the crux of the way that we evaluate the effectiveness of pipeline, the effectiveness of the early stages of a sale. How much opportunity are we going to create? And how good are we at converting leads into opportunities? Agreement on what an opportunity actually is it can be depending on the organization kind of hard fought and so i'll you know i've joined organizations in the past where opportunity equaled meeting i don't i don't maybe there are some businesses where you're lucky that you convert a very high rate of meeting to closed one pipeline but in most organizations i've worked for b2b companies that are you know selling to enterprises or selling even to the smb opportunity doesn't equal meeting but you'd be surprised at how many companies have, have built their entire pipeline based upon that notion. So now we've got to, 
introduce, for example, rigorous systems of sales qualification to define what an opportunity is. But guess what? The number of opportunities the marketing team creates or the SDR team creates is going to come down as a function of the introduction of that rigor. And so, you know, helping everybody understand why that's good for the business and then aligning everybody's aligning everybody's incentives, that that can be that can be challenging. And you know, I think I think that same drama you know, plays it out, plays itself out in software companies around the world. You often see the same challenge arise when you talk about leads, you know, a new CRO, new CMO, you know, get together, aligning on a single version of the truth. Like, hey, what's a lead here? Is it somebody fill out a form on our website? Is it a name that we pumped into our database? Is it somebody that actually raised their, raised their hand and said, contact me? We have to talk about it. And so suddenly, if you align to a more stringent definition of what a lead is, you might be creating quite a bit of conflict for marketing teams that up until that point have been have been measured, have been bonused, have been patted on the back for driving a standard unit that has a has a lower definition or a lesser rather definition. Most of the, the challenges that, that I've had as a CRO have come in and around those sort of definitions. And it's the steady unwinding of those definitions to something that really means something to the business, which is typically a qualified lead and a qualified opportunity. That can take that can take a little bit of work. Now that was a really long answer. I hope I answered your question. <laughs> I mean, you we could probably keep talking for for the next you know, three weeks just on this topic and, and we still probably wouldn't do it justice. So I totally agree. I used to have a, uh, a boss who would take a photo of someone with an ad somewhere in the wild and then send it to the team. And then it would be like a lead, like, Hey, here's a lead. I'm like, just because someone is buying an ad somewhere on earth does, does not mean that that it's like, well, they're spending money with somebody. And I'm like, I mean, that's, I can, but that's, and I would be like, yeah. you know, the lowly rep and be like, yeah, I mean, I guess, but like, why are they buying that? Who is the target for that? Is that in and around our solution, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I, you know, th th that's another thing. Like if that's, is it someone who is driving, you know, showing intent to do X, Y, or Z? Is it, is it someone who's using a competitor? Is that a lead? You know? Hey, is that good enough to say we better be knocking down the door of this of of what that means? When so and I, and I want to ask you so in those organizations, what was sort of like you know as an example just for for one of those organizations that they used to be a part of? What would be an example of like okay, this is this is what we figured out. We decided that this is the way to do it, and you thought that that was a pretty good way to do it. Yeah, so it ties back to the beginnings of this conversation. Many, if not most, of the organizations, not including the one I work for today, the one I work for today, we have this remarkable, remarkable collaboration between sales, marketing, and post-sales. And we have a ton of transparency, and we're all just in it to win it. So the decisions are, are, are pretty easy, and they're collaborative. And we've got a great little RevOps team. But historically, historically, what did it, and again, this is the root of the conversation that we're having, was giving the reporting to an independent objective RevOps team. And 
I've also hey, been Brandon, fortunate Michael, what do you mean, Mom? Favor, get off that shed. This is my favorite place. Get off the shed! So it's reported directly to the CEO, or it's reported to the CFO. And some people might, you know, recoil when I say that's a good thing and say, "Well, hold on a second, I want to control that." But you know, it's better to have it as an independent function. So where where that has been a problem for me, like we couldn't agree on opportunities, couldn't agree on leads, couldn't agree on what measures we were going to to look at every moment of the day to drive the business forward, let's gave it to the RevOps team. They have all the data. They can make a recommendation about what units actually convert into meaningful business value. And that's what we did. Just gave it to an objective party and uh, they helped us figure it out. And I'm curious, you know, in your role as CRO, and not speaking from this company particularly, but as the the royal CRO, a CRO in the sky that, that looks at all of us, breaking those three functions into having a, a functional leader for sales, for marketing, uh, and sometimes marketing rolls up to CRO, sometimes they don't, you know, I get that. But having sales lead, marketing lead, and uh, and and post-sales lead, and being responsible for all of revenue, therefore puts those things a little different. I think Partly the problem was if the CRO is actually the head of sales and they're the one who owns the RevOps team and they're going to serve that purpose, then you have marketing and, and customer success or, or whatever it is a little frozen out there. And I think that, that there's some issues there. It's like, you know, if this person is responsible for my career, then like at the end of the day, the tie goes to them, right? Every time. Yeah. So just speaking from my own experience, I have personally never owned all three, although. You know, I've, I've met CROs and I read about CROs who have owned all three, sales, marketing, and post-sales. So I've had sales and I've had post-sales, but in recent history, I'd have to go way back to my career very early, you know, but before the era of RevOps where I had marketing too. But, you know, there's still a case to be made. There's still a case to be made to have RevOps being an independent function that rolls up to to the CEO or even to the CFO. I'll give you an example of that. I think one of the I think one of the highest orders of revenue operations and it's really hard to get there is when the revops leader or the designated party inside of revops and I've had this at a few companies that I've worked for when they carry the forecast for the business. And so that's 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 not just running a report in Salesforce. Right, because generally there are other factors that go into what comes out of your your CRM that allow you to form a forecast. There's some judgment, for example, that has to be imposed on it, or there might be a tool that you're using, like Clary or Inside Squared, that will help you put together an accurate forecast on the first day of the quarter that you're going to hit 90 days later when the quarter ends. And certainly, it's easier to forecast as the quarter as the quarter ages. But I think having an independent party provide a forecast does some remarkable things for for uh, a go to market organization. Like for instance, for instance, it, it gets me out of the business of having to forecast. I was just going to say that sounds great. <laughs> but we so we can just rely on the data that comes out of the systems we put in place to produce an actual an accurate forecast. And then it's incumbent upon me, right? And these are the things that I would want to be doing. This is where I could add the most value as a CRO. It's incumbent upon me to make sure, you know, that our sales reps are working within 
like a really clear sales process with really defined stages, entry and exit criteria, right? It, it's incumbent upon me to make sure that the sales managers are just proficient in our sales process and they're coaching to those stages and they're helping reps get over obstacles so we can predictably push opportunity or move rather opportunity through the process. That is, that's time, that's time well spent as far as, as far as I'm concerned. And then doing the other things like, you know, personally or through my management team, listening to sales calls, looking at gong data and providing the coaching to make sure that the buyer seller conversation is happening. Now, I promise you, you do all that well and you instrument your systems to produce a forecast. Somebody else who is totally objective and emotionally detached from the outcome, which is a CRO is like virtually impossible to do, can do that. It also requires that person. I learned this all the way back at, at Black Duck. We had the wonderful head of Rev, RevOps. His name was Ed Loftus. He was incredible. He was a former finance guy. He also knew how to relate to salespeople. So he would sit in the deal reviews. He would he would talk to sales reps. He would get to know what they were working on. So he was ultra high context. So he could pull a report. And I've had some great RevOps leaders who could do the same thing. Because they work at generating context, they could pull a forecast out of a system, run the analytics, and they can look at it. And they can say, well, hey, I'm going to put some judgment on this because I know where we are in the opportunity. And then when it comes time to present the forecast to the executive team or present the forecast to the board, you know, early on in a quarter, I and the head of RevOps do that together. He provides the numbers. I provide the context. Everybody's good. That is, that is the highest order, I think, of operations for a, a RevOps leader. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's really interesting too that that someone with a little bit of a finance background, and and I think that to add to that, someone who's just a deep either lover or understander of technology and how technology levers the business. Like, technology is a massive lever for sales and marketing. Like you, like every at this point in time, every single marketing sales leader and customer success leader they have to be technologists. Like you have to because you're using technology all day every day. And so if you are a little weak and you're in one of those functions, having a RevOps person who is really good at technology, and maybe your CTO is or your CIO is as well, which is great, but they also have other fish to fry as well. Yeah, completely. I think that's very well said. I think to add to the conversation, if I can, there's, there's a lot of talk in recent years about deal desk. I'm sure you've heard that here. You know, So having a, having a central point, typically within RevOps, where you know, pricing is owned, the quoting process is owned, approvals are owned, determinations around booking and revenue recognition are made. And even in some of the more sophisticated deal desks that you know, I've helped build or have been a part of, they can negotiate legal terms. So you know, having that provided to a sales organization sort of as a service through RevOps I'd say that's pretty close also to sort of one of the highest order, you know, states of a RevOps, of a RevOps team. But it, it does, it does require, you know, the, the members of the RevOps team who are going to lead that function to, and I'll just, I'll probably overuse a word I just used like three minutes ago to be super high context because you can't really make 
decisions or partner with a sales rep from the perspective of RevOps or deal desk, if you don't understand the business, you don't understand the territory, the rep, where you are in the quarter, what you're trying to accomplish, what levers you can pull. And so some of the best RevOps leaders that I've worked with have, you know, gotten out from behind the desk and they've put themselves in a position where they can learn about what it means to to be a quota carrying sales rep. And they're better for it. And it's so difficult to understand the internal intricacies and the external market forces. Like that is what it, that is really hard to do. Like that's why marketing is really, really hard is because uh, marketers need to understand the market, right? Sales need to understand those individual accounts, like to the teeth, right? Like you need to know everything about how they buy, why they buy, the levers that they buy with all that sort of stuff. But then you also need to look at your organization and figure out how to optimize, like you said, all those other things that are, those are organizational. That's not the market is telling you. Market doesn't care how you organize your sales team. And I think a lot of the RevOps people that we talk to, when you talk about, you know, the three heads of the hydra with sales, marketing, customer success, that they have to, you know, give their time to all three of those and triage that stuff. That's the hard part for them is to say like, okay, well, this running a report on like, you know, whatever, your TAM plus, you know, accounts that are of a certain size that we want to, that have a higher propensity to buy. And we have this theory that these type of accounts, that accounts that raise series C are the, are the fastest buyers in our entire thing. We want to test a marketing theory on this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is a very different mental function than saying like, hey, carve this territory up. Like that's totally different. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I think great, great RevOps teams, you know, participate in those decisions around territory and quota. You know, of course, how the compensation plans are going to work. And you're right. That's, I'll take that one with me. The market doesn't care about how you organize <laughs> your sales team. I, I like that. I'm going to steal that. Yeah. All right. Let's get to our next segment, the tool shed. Hey, hey Brandon, Michael, want to do me and mom a favor? Get off that shed. This is my favorite place. <laughs> the tool shed. Get off the shed. We're talking tools, spreadsheets, metrics, just like everyone's favorite tool, Qualified. No B2B tool shed is complete without Qualified. Go to Qualified.com right now and check them out. Qualified, they're our best friends in the whole world, and we love them dearly. Go to Qualified.com. You can talk to a sales rep right now, right? You could pause the podcast or keep listening, and you could talk to a salesperson right now on Qualified uh, and, and, and fix your pipeline. Go to Qualified.com. All right. Tool shed. You actually touched on a, a number of the tools in your tool shed, like Salesforce and HubSpot, and you mentioned Gong a bunch. Beyond that, what are the metrics that matter to you, and, and how do uh, how do your tools and some additional things that tools that you spend your time in, how do they help you? Yeah, sure. I'll start with the metrics. We here and I, you know, sort of over the course of my career, pretty passionate about routinely looking at just a handful of metrics. So, number one is how much pipeline are we creating on a daily and weekly basis? And you know, to be fair, a lot of people probably do that. And they're like, Adam, like that's not really particularly insightful. I would say not everybody puts that into the form of a trend. Are we getting better or are we getting worse? Right? And then takes the time to look at the breakdown of the contribution to pipeline growth by vertical, by territory by sales rep. These things tend to be looked at in 
an aggregate. And so that's a wonderful place to partner with marketing colleagues, for example. Just day over day, week over week, are we creating more pipeline? Are we creating less pipeline? And for whom are we creating it? And what are the sources by which we're creating it, right? Inbound, are we up or down that week? For down, why? Outbound, are we up or down that week? For down, why? Sales reps, because I typically work for organizations where sales reps are expected. I expect them to prospect as a source of pipeline generation of the up or down. And there's, you know, all sorts of precursors to pipeline generation that we look at in our regular reports, like the number of discovery calls, the number of leads, and so forth. But that's a big one. Um, it all starts with pipeline. And the second is, what's our conversion of that pipeline at stage? So if we create a qualified lead, and we've done that through, you know, a discovery call, maybe a demo, then how frequently do we convert that to the next stage and the stage after that and the stage after that? And I don't think I'm unlike, you know, any other you know, CRO or sales leader, like the things that you're looking for when you're converting opportunities, at least if you're selling in a, a, a B2B sale, where you have sales reps who are out talking to customers, you know, PLG aside, velocity aside, SMB sales aside, you know, are we creating sponsors who, who want to champion a solution to the problem? Are we aligning with, you know, we call it power, but economic buyers, decision makers, which is hard. Very few sales organizations are good at doing that. If we're being asked to do a proof of concept, for example, you know, are we properly aligned around the solution, around the investment, around the decision process and the multiple personas in the account? And so I bring that up not to lengthen the answer, but because if those are delineated in the sales process, and I'm pretty passionate about that, just consistently looking at how well the company, Verticals, territories, individual sellers are converting those opportunities. And not necessarily week over week or month over month, but quarter over quarter, you want to be improving, right? You, you want the skill required to go from discovery call to qualified opportunity, to go from a conversation with a sponsor to a conversation with an economic buyer. You want those skills to be developing and you want the conversion rates to be improving. So I would say, in addition, it's a pipeline generation. It's conversion of opportunity at stage. That would be the second one. And the third one, it's not unique, is our forecast, of course, and the opportunities that are going to get us to where we need to be over the course of the quarter per year. Any other thoughts on tools or blind spots or anything like that that uh, you want to share with the audience? So um, I, we're, we're, making, we're making terrific use of uh, conversational intelligence tools here and you know elsewhere over the last last four or five years i think they're very powerful i think they're somewhat underutilized so gong for example or chorus not just for pulling out call analytics i think those are useful but actually listening and coaching to tape and then increasingly uh, um, tying what is said or what is not said in a call to a forecast, not as the mechanism for forecasting, but these platforms are doing remarkable things now with conversational analytics to tell you whether or not, for example, the opportunity that you forecasted for close by the end of the quarter, which is just in a few short weeks, 
has supported a conversation around price or decision-making process. Like, guess what? Like, I could know that. I could pull an opportunity right now that we're forecasting for the quarter. And within Gong, I can quickly determine whether or not price has been agreed to. The decision-making process is well understood if we've sent a contract to them. So uh, I, I find those tools to be remarkably, remarkably powerful. On the, on the extreme front end, we've started to use tools like Zoom Info. We're in a pilot right now with a, another, another tool that's helping us with intent data. So starting to shift our SDR prospecting efforts away from cold lists and toward high intent sources. So we, have, we get inbound leads. We've, we've started to use tools to route those to closers directly, which I think most companies are doing. And that leaves our SDRs opportunities to prospect outbound and using signal from the marketplace around intent that some of these tools are able to gather and then focusing our prospecting efforts there where there's a signal that they might be interested in solving a problem that we can. I think over the last couple of companies, those tools have been hugely impactful for me. It's been uh, awesome having you on the show. We're going to be following along and checking out tomorrow.io. So many cool things uh, going on there. I know you can't share everything. It's a, it's a it's crazy times in this world. And uh, I'm super excited to follow along. Any final thoughts or, or any uh, pieces of advice for, for RevOps uh, leaders that are out there listening? Just one thought, and at the risk of sounding a little bit redundant, and thank you for asking, by the way, I think that uh, the go-to-market leaders, CROs, CMOs are best served to bring RevOps as close into the fold of how the software is marketed and how the software is sold. Because with that context, you know, RevOps teams can become great and the quality of the decision-making only improves. They've got all the data, and if they're armed properly with the context around how the business actually works, and how it operates, you're creating very powerful partners in the business to do all those things that we talked about, which is generally driving more business and improving the quality of decision-making. So I would just, uh, I would leave on that one point around context. Awesome. Adam, thanks again, and, and we'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to Rise of RevOps. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you're listening. This podcast was created by the team at Qualified. The Pipeline Cloud is the modern way B2B revenue teams generate pipeline. Learn more at qualified.com.